speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 25 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I am going to cover episodes 17 and 18 of season one of The Adventures of Superman. But before I get into tonight's coverage, I just wanted to let everybody know that the next episode of Man of Screen Extra coming out at the end of August will be my review of the Suicide Squad movie that was recently released, directed by David Ayer. I'm going to talk about that film much in the same way that I did Batman v Superman. And like I did in July, I am going to invite you to share your thoughts with me on that film. So, if you are so inclined, you can send an email to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can tell me your thoughts on the film there. Or you can send me a private message on Facebook. I'm relatively easy to find. I'm Mike Zumo. You can find me in the Facebook group just by searching for Man of Screen Podcast. You can find my name and send me a private message there with your thoughts on the film. If you want it to be a surprise for the listeners when it comes out on the episode, I recommend that you send it to me privately and not post it publicly, so that way it'll be heard by everybody else for the first time. So just get those into me by Friday, and I'll be happy to read them on mic. So, with that being said, I am going to take a quick break, I'm going to play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with... The Runaway Robot. Hang around, folks. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spinoffs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. And here we go with The Runaway Robot. The original broadcast date was January 9th, 1953. This episode was written by Dick Hamilton and directed by Tommy Carr. Guest cast included Lucianne Littlefield as Horatio Hinkle, Dan Seymour as Rocco, John Harmon as Mousy. Russell Johnson as Chopper, Robert Easton as Marvin, and Herman Cantor as the police officer. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. A jewelry store in Metropolis is being robbed. The owner has been bound and gagged by the culprits Rocco and Mousy. The pair of thieves is not stopped by Superman, but a large robot called Hero. Put up your hands, you're under arrest. Let him have it. 
your pistols. Drop them, I say. It ain't human. Created by Horatio Hinkle, eccentric inventor, detective, and Daily Planet correspondent for the rural town of Screen Run, Ohio. The bandits run away without their pilfered items when they see that the machine is bulletproof. Hinkle is trying to deactivate the automaton before it can step on the shopkeeper's head. Horatio is then relieved by the arrival of the police until he is arrested for committing the robbery. You can't do this to me. I'm Horatio Hinkle of Squeed Run, Ohio, and furthermore, I'm a graduate of the famous International Correspondence Institute for Detectives and Crime Deduction, and I might add I graduated cum laude, and I am the duly accredited rural correspondent for the Metropolis Daily Planet, and... Yeah, yeah, I know. And you're also the owner of the Tin Dummy that wrecked the jewelry store and got away with 60 grand worth of diamonds. Don't go making false accusations. I'll have you know there are slander laws in this state, and... Sure, sure. In spite of Hero's prevention of the jewel theft, $60,000 worth of diamonds are still missing, and Horatio is being blamed for the crime. Reporters Clark Kent, Lois Lane, and Jimmy Olsen have bailed the bumbling inventor out of prison. By Gulliver, I knew I could depend on my colleagues of the Fourth Estate. Take him, he's all yours. Miss Lane. Hello, Horatio. Jimmy, it was nice of you to come. Now let's get Hero and get out of here. Hero? My electronic robot. Oh, yes. Well, now, Horatio, about that robot. Yes? Well, there's something far more important. Oh, stop beating around the bush, Clark. You see, Horatio, the police are holding you responsible for the theft of $60,000 worth of diamonds from that jewelry store. Me? Why, why, I prevented the robbery. Oh, that is to say, Hero did. He routed the thieves and they fled, leaving their booty behind them. All except the diamonds. And if we don't recover them, Horatio, you're in serious trouble. By Gulliver, I'll recover them. Where's Hero? Just get me Hero and... Uh, what's the matter? Well, Horatio, that's another thing. Your robot was stolen from the police garage. Good heavens. Good merciful heavens. Mr. Kent, do you realize that in the hands of unprincipled persons, that robot could be dangerous? I certainly do, Horatio, and that's what worries me. Now, I want you to go to my apartment and wait there till you hear from me. But, uh, but what about Hero? I'll be looking for the robot. And so will I. But, Horatio, you'll have to do just as Mr. Kent says. You see, you've been released in his custody. Very good. I'll do it. But uh, it goes against the grain to stand idly by, definitely against the grain. Jim, why don't you go with Horatio and keep him from getting lonesome? Stay with him. Okay, Mr. Kent, I'll take you, I, I mean, uh, I'll keep him company. All right, come on, Lois. We haven't got too much time. Chopper, the gangster who sent Rocco and Mousy to rob the jewelry store, is angry with the two men. They have given him Hero instead of the Diamonds. Rocco and Mousy thought that the robot could commit their crimes for them, but only Horatio knows how to operate it. Chopper then learns from an informant that Hinkle was bailed out of jail by Clark and the others. His man continues to tell Chopper that Hinkle is in Clark's apartment. The telephone rings there as Horatio explains how Hero works to Jimmy. Hello? Yes? This is Horatio Hinkle speaking. If you want to get your robot back, mister, and you want it to pay a hundred bucks, you'll be on the southwest corner of 8th and Main in 20 minutes. And don't tell no one where you're going, and don't bring no one with you, you understand? Don't try any funny business, and we'll work this robot over with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Good news? Well, uh, that is, uh, yes and, uh, uh no. Uh, that is to say, it just occurs to me an ice cream soda would come in very handy at the moment. I wonder, Jim, would you mind running down to the drugstore and bringing up a couple? 
I can order them, Horatio. They'll send them up. Oh, oh, uh, that is, uh, oh, yes. Knowing he cannot trick Jimmy into leaving him alone, Hinkle uses a special knockout gas pill that blocks Jimmy's memory. The staff of the Daily Planet is in a frenzy looking for Horatio and his robot. I don't care what Ken said. I'm running a newspaper, not a home for mental defectives. But, Chief, Horatio may be a little excited. A little? But in some respects, he's a very brilliant man. Yeah. Brilliant enough to get away with $60,000 worth of diamonds. That's ridiculous, Inspector, and you know it. Is it? Then who's got the diamonds? The crooks. What crooks? When the prowl car got to the store, your adult-pated friend was there alone with the robot. And he himself said that he prevented the crooks from stealing a thing. Now, look. The important job is to recover that robot. Horatio's waiting patiently in my apartment, and I... Well, I'm sorry, Chief, but... What do you want? Well, I... I... Horatio got away. He what? Well, first he got a phone call from somebody. Then he tried to trick me into going down to the drugstore. Well, when I wouldn't fall for that, he dropped one of those little smoke bombs of his, and it knocked me out. When I came to, he was gone. So he's waiting patiently in your apartment, Mr. Kent. Have you any idea where he went, Jim? No, sir. But we're the only ones who knew he was in your apartment. Apparently, we only thought we were. Looks like it. Jim, you shouldn't have left the apartment. He, he might have come back or, or even telephoned. Leaps, I never thought of that. Where do you think you're going? Well, I... You did enough damage letting that crazy character get away. Great Caesar's ghost. Horatio Hinkle accused of being a jewel thief, a dangerous robot, loose in Metropolis. Well, what are you all standing around here for? Go find Hinkle. Find that robot. As Clark accompanies Henderson to police headquarters to speak to the jeweler, Lois waits for news from Horatio in Clark's apartment. Meanwhile... So, you don't want the hundred dollars you mentioned over the phone. This was just a ruse to get me here. You catch on quick, Pop. Now, we ain't interested in no hundred bucks, but we are interested in a couple of million. Don't be ridiculous. I'm not a wealthy man. I haven't got that kind of money. Maybe not, but the Metropolis Trust Company has. Undoubtedly, but what's that to do with me? Everything. You see, when we were fooling around with your robot, a little fire came out of his nose. Oh, that's just a settling torch for soldering wires. Swell. And if you had a little tank of oxygen, you got an oxoacetylene torch, right? On for what purpose? To burn a nice round hole in the Metropolis Trust Company vault tonight. On account of because they got a cool 10 million in cash there, and you're going to help us get some of it. I definitely am not. You want to bet? All right, boys, throw him in his storeroom. And put Junior in there with him to keep him company. Now, look here. You'll regret this. I have newspaper. Thank you. As a result, he is Chopper's prisoner, while the gangster looks for some oxygen. With the radio that was hidden inside Hero, Horatio has contacted his assistant Marvin in Screen Run. Calling XP-127Y4. Calling XP-127Y4. XP-127-Y-4, you're clear to screen run. Now listen, Marvin, write this down. Call Clark Kent at Metropolis. His number is West 30693. Tell him I'm on the top floor of an old building on the corner of Front Street and Third Avenue. Tell him I'm... Who are you talking to? Him? But Rocco has come into the room before the message can be finished. Rocco is now taking Hero away. However, Marvin is still able to make a telephone call. 
Hello? Yes, this is Mr. Kent's apartment. No, he isn't in right now, but may I take a message? Horatio Hinkle? Yes. Yes. He's where? On the top floor of a building on the corner of Front Street and 3rd Avenue. Who is this? Oh, hello, Marvin. This is Lois Lane. But listen, Marvin, is that all he said? Well, did he sound worried or, or as if he were in trouble? No, he sounded fine to me, Miss Lane. No, no, he didn't sound worried to me. Uh, he sounded just as happy as a pig in the watermelon patch. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. Lois goes to find him, not realizing that she is about to walk into the jaws of danger herself. Okay, sister, what do you want? Horatio! Oh, so you know this little guy, huh? Well, well that is, I... Okay, Rocco. Miss Lane, why Shut did you... Shut up, you. Okay, sister, talk fast and talk straight. How did you know he was up here? Well, I, uh... I, I followed him. Oh, you did, huh? And when was that? Well, when he, uh... When he came up here. Uh, double talk, huh? Well, okay, sister, I'm glad to see you. You're just what the doctor ordered. What do you mean? I mean that from now on you're going to be reasonable and you're going to do exactly what you're told. Or would you like to see Rocco here work over your pretty girlfriend's face? You wouldn't dare. You want to bet? No, wait, I'll do what you ask. I thought you would. Now get to work. Horatio, what is it they're trying to get you to do? They want me. Why, you just shut, shut up. up! I will not shut up! As Superman searches Metropolis for Hinkle and Lois, the screen-run correspondent is making Hero steal money from the Metropolis Trust Company. Chopper, Mousy, and Rocco leave the room for a drink. And this is the perfect moment for Hinkle to have Hero pull the fire alarms in the neighborhood. Word of Hero's act reaches Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy leaves to check things out, giving Clark time to become Superman. Mousy has learned how to work Hero's controls. Now the robot is attacking Lois and Horatio. Suddenly, Superman bursts onto the scene. He dismantles the attacking Hero and deals with Chopper's gang. Hinkle, who was knocked out by Hero, awakens in Clark Kent's apartment with Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen watching over him. Horatio! What happened? How did I get here? Lois! Now listen to me, young lady. Just where have you been? Well, I haven't been sleeping my life away. Oh, hello, Jimmy. Hi. Oh, so there you are. Now, once and for all, Hinkle, what did you do with those diamonds? I know nothing about any diamonds, Inspector Henderson. There you are, Inspector. How did you know they were in there? Just lucky, I guess. Maybe he's got some more of them stashed in him somewhere. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyone who thinks that's funny is going to the station with me right now. All right. Well, this was a fun episode. You can you can never go wrong with clunky robots in 1950 television show. Very big science fiction movie, if I must say so myself. Now, there are just a couple notes before I go into my analysis of the episode. From what I was able to gather, I got some of these notes from TV.com. Horatio Hinkle was based on the recurring character in the radio series of Horatio F. Horn, who was introduced in the radio serial Horatio F. Horn Detective, which aired from July 2nd to July 19th, 1946. And apparently, if you watch the end credits of this episode, 
The actor and role of Horatio was given the same billing in the credits as Perry and Jimmy and Inspector Henderson, suggesting that he may have been intended as a recurring character. Personally, I'm not sure I could have handled this particular actor or character for much more than one episode. I believe one episode of Horatio Hinkle was quite enough. And if you recognized Chopper in this episode, then you've probably seen Gilligan's Island. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip That started from this tropic point aboard this tiny ship The mate was a mighty sailor man, skipper brave and sure Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour A three-hour tour As Russell Johnson is best known for The Professor on Gilligan's Island In this episode he played Chopper, the uh, head criminal and this episode also marks the third appearance of Dan Seymour on the show. We previously saw him in The Mind Machine and in The Stolen Costume. So, as far as this episode goes, it starts, you know, as all good crime dramas do, with criminals robbing a jewelry store. And that's when we see this robot kind of stumbling in as 1950s robots do. It's a man in a costume, and it's very hard to move in these things, and you can tell that because... The robot is lumbering on and on very slowly. The actor can't bend his knees or really move his arms, so he's just lumbering very slowly, and his body is shifting from side to side. So, And he speaks with a robotic voice. He looks a lot like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, except without the human face. Bullets bounce right off of him, so that gets the two criminals, Mousy and Rocco, to scram, you know? Being that it's so difficult for this robot to move, because of the designs of the costume, it's a little tough for him to fight crime, as it's easy for human criminals, who are much more agile, to just get away from him. He can't run after him. It's nice to see the show taking advantage of the limits of the costume they're able to provide the actor. And as he tries to help, and as Hero tries to help, he's very clumsy, dropping stuff all over the place, and stepping on the jewels, and just making a big mess. Really, aside from getting the criminals to scram out of there, this contraption is really doing more harm than good. And this is when we see Horatio come out for the first time, and he's got this, what looks like a big uh, food dispenser over his, around his neck. It's a big control pad, and he's trying to control this robot. And, like I said, it's stepping on things, and he's having a hard time trying to keep the robot from stepping on the shopkeeper's head. So he actually has to get in front of the robot, and keep it from doing just that. I love when Horatio hears that the police siren's coming. You know, he hears the police, everything is going to be okay, and then that dissolves to the next scene, and things are clearly not okay, as Horatio is in jail and giving this police officer an absolute earful, as he is letting off a pretty impressive rant telling the cop who he is and screaming at him and you know what this cop could care less who Horatio Hinkle is by this point I could care less who Horatio Hinkle is and the cop is fr is so frustrated that when Lois and Clark show up this guy is just happy enough to get rid of Horatio this is when we find out that Horatio is being held because the police suspect him of stealing the $60,000 worth of diamonds which is still missing from the robbery and the cops are still have impounded Hero for that reason. And we were going, I guess they were going to try to retrieve Hero from the police garage, but what do you know? The robot is stolen. 
Now, Horatio is a bit of a nerd here, especially with his big, bulky, round glasses, and he's very vocally annoying, using lots of unnecessary big words, and just doesn't shut up for anything. And I believe he's so annoying that Clark kind of pawns him off on Jimmy, because I think the Daily Planet staff likes to deal with Horatio from a distance, as apparently he is their correspondent in this little backwater town in Ohio. This doesn't sound like a guy they enjoy dealing with on a regular basis. Apparently, the criminals here have the robot and the control tray, and they don't know how to operate it. And Chopper, who, who's their boss, like I mentioned, played by Russell Johnson, is quite upset that they came back with the robot and no jewels. I guess I'd be upset, too, if I sent you out for $60,000 worth of diamonds and came back with a robot that I can't use and no jewels. I'd probably be pretty upset, too. You know, these dumb criminals have to do their job. And we learn that, and the criminals learn that Horatio is with Clark Kent and that he's at the Standish Arms apartment. And this is consistent with the stolen costume where it's revealed that Clark lives in the Standish Arms. His comic book home of 344 Clinton Street, I don't believe is established yet at this point. Now that he's at Clark's apartment, Horatio is now regaling Jimmy with details about how this robot works, and I think Jimmy is just as bored with Horatio and annoyed with him as the rest of the Daily Planet crew are, you know. Now, in addition to his nerdy glasses and his high-button jacket, his tiny bow tie and his glasses, Horatio is not nearly as smart as he thinks he is. After he gets the call to ransom the robot from Chopper, he tries to send Jimmy off to the drugstore for some ice cream sodas. But apparently Jimmy just kind of shrugs him off and says, nah, they'll deliver. And apparently he had, a, had some kind of knockout pellet in his jacket, which he uses on Jimmy so he can get away. I mean, this nerd must definitely have been a Boy Scout because he seems to have a plan for everything. He's kind of the, the current Batman before the current Batman existed. And Perry is in his office doing what he does best, yelling at everybody. And he's complaining that he's running a newspaper and not a home for mental defectives. Apparently, he doesn't think very highly of uh, Horatio either. I just gave a slight chuckle for a minute at Perry's line about not running a home for mental defectives. Could you imagine if someone said that on TV today? The letters would be, and tweets and Facebook posts would be spreading like wild within a second of it being broadcast. Anyway, here's Henderson, who lays out the information... And here comes Jimmy reporting that he lost Horatio. And Clark throws a bit of logic at Jimmy, and you can tell that Jimmy doesn't think of these things. Jimmy just, Jimmy is one of those characters that he's young and exuberant, and he just does. Jimmy feels he needs to do something, he does it. He doesn't think two or three moves ahead like the older characters would, like Superman would, for instance. And after that done in the office, I love watching Perry yell at everyone for standing around in his office when they need to go find the, hero the robot. And while Perry is doing that, Henderson is just leaning back on White's desk and enjoying how the planet staff jumps when Perry barks. But little does he know that after they leave, Perry's going to turn his eyes on Henderson. And, that's a and I love how Robert Sh Shane's demeanor here changes immediately as he scurries just like the rest of them do. It's just a great bit. And it was equally nice of the Daily Planet staff to wait for Henderson outside of Perry's office as they kind of have their little powwow on what to do next. Lois doesn't want to go back to police headquarters with Clark, but she wants to go back to Clark's and wait for Horatio. And I like how Lois 
asserts her independence. This is a big thing with Phyllis Coates' Lois. Lois, do you want to come along? No, thanks. I have other plans. Such as? Such as going back to your apartment and waiting for a call from Horatio. All right, but you be careful. I'm a big girl now, Clark. Don't worry. She is out there doing what she does because it needs to be done. She doesn't really like taking orders from Clark. And even though he reminds her to be careful because he cares for her well-being, she reminds him that she's a big girl and that him saying that she can take care of herself pretty much. We're going to see in a few minutes how that turns out for her. Eventually, we see that the meat didn't go very well for Horatio. And did you honestly think it would? And he's been captured by the criminals. And Horatio is either dense... And it takes him a long time to realize they want him to operate Hero. The more Horatio speaks, the more annoying he gets. As he speaks and speaks and speaks, too many unnecessary syllables. And myself, like the characters in the show, I just wish he'd shut up. And after he's put in this little, I guess, one, I guess it's a broom closet, this is where we learn that Horatio must have been a spy in our past life because he pulls something out of his shoe. And it looks like he's got some kind of radio that he uses to call his assistant, Marvin. And this guy is very useful. He's very excited to hear from the boss. The show goes to great stereotypical lengths to show that he is a very rural, very simple person. He doesn't come off as very smart. And Marvin is basically the representation of what someone who never le left the city would think somebody who lives in the country and has never left would act. Just the very stereotypical performance. Doesn't really put country folk in a particularly good light. Makes them look like a bunch of hayseeds, really, but... And apparently Horatio wasn't quiet enough when he made his phone call, as Rocco hears him from the other side of the door, and Horatio comes up with this excuse that he's talking to the robot. So, Rocco does what any other criminal would do. He takes the robot away. And it is hilarious watching this henchman try to move the robot and drag it out of the room. I don't actually know how much time, what went into making this suit, or if there's an actor in the suit when it's just standing there, or if the actor is only in it when it has to move, but watching Dan Seymour try to move this robot, there might have been an actor in it at this point because it stays together while he's moving it, it takes a mighty effort on Rocco's part to drag this robot out of the room, and that is a very funny image. What's even funnier is what comes next, though, as Horatio clueless as ever, tries to follow out Rocco and Hero, but Rocco rebuffs him with a quick facepalm. He literally puts his hand right in Horatio's face and pushes him back into the room. Funny stuff. And Mar this is where we learn Marvin is just as clueless as Horatio. He All he needs is a pair of thick glasses to complete the nerd look. And Lois takes the phone call from him, and the one thing Marvin does get right is that he tells Lois the right address where to go. And Lois does what Lois does. She leaves a note for Clark. But if you listen to her as she's dictating what her note is for Clark, she tells him that she's going out on a hot lead, but she doesn't tell him where she's going or that Horatio is there. And being that... Technically, Horatio is Clark's responsibility because the police released Horatio into his custody. You'd think he'd want to know. But she doesn't do that. Why would Lois? She doesn't want to allow Clark to horn in on what she thinks is going to be her story. Now we go back to the criminals, and Rocco is really in a hurry to hit Hero with a hammer. And apparently the light bulb at the door tells him Lois is there. And Lois just kind of walks into this den of criminals, and I'm not exactly sure what she's hoping to accomplish. 
as now she's given the criminals a, a bargaining chip, basically her. And I like how she tries to talk her way out of this, but no one's fooled by it. That's she. She's kind of like Jimmy in a way. She's just doing, not doing a whole lot of thinking. Now, I love the way Phyllis Coates shows with her eyes and her facial expression, Lois's thought process, and the way her eyes dart around from one person to the next as she tries to find a way out of this situation. And she also shows some feistiness as Rocco slaps Horatio when she goes off trying to slap at him, and she lets out some really good Phyllis Coates screams, but to no avail. Horatio surrenders to save Lois. Now here comes Superman, landing in Clark's apartment, as Jimmy bangs on the door, but Jimmy makes a comment about how Clark is a heavy sleeper because it takes him a minute to change out of his Superman costume and back into Clark. He obviously can't answer the door addressed as Superman. That would not be good for his secret identity. And now, at this point, the crooks are getting what they want as the robot is robbing a bank. And this robot is the slowest and loudest bank robber I have ever seen. And then when the robot is done robbing the bank... Chopper says to bring the robot fa back fast. Have they been watching this robot? It doesn't do anything fast. Fast for this robot is still pretty pretty slow. Horatio has showed some quick thinking by pulling the firebox, even though he says that the robot bumped into it, because he, apparently he's not a very good pilot. And Rocco is very eager to hit somebody with a hammer as Horatio's accident line has run kind of thin after Hero pulls a second firebox, and the shots of the fire trucks leaving the station are very low quality. My best guess is, is that they are from some kind of newsreel footage and not something that was filmed as part of the series. This was common practice back then, and I think it's still used in rather limited fashion today when TV shows need a shot that isn't easy for them to reproduce with their technology. And I believe they're, the movies do that too sometimes. I mean, there's this shot I see, I've seen in countless movies of nuclear missiles launching into the sky. Because every time there's a mass nuclear launch in a movie, I see the same shot. So that's probably still being done today. Now, Clark and Jimmy hear the fire trucks. And I love how Clark chases Jimmy when he hears that a robot has turned the alarms. And Jimmy, which is unusual here, doesn't even question why Clark doesn't want to come along. But we know why. Clark is going to change into Superman and... Now Mousy is suddenly an expert on how to operate Hero as they're tired of her having Horatio do it and they're going to have the machine kill him. And then we get more uh, pretty good Lois screams as the robot moves in. And Lois's voice, though, is about to get her killed but because they want to silence her so they send Hero after her because Horatio is not nearly as loud as she is. He can wait. But fortunately, Superman was able to trace those screams to the source and he comes right in through the open window. And Mousy sends the robot after Superman, but we don't really see what happens after that. We just see the robot go near Superman and pretty much fall apart right at Superman's feet in rather comedic fashion. And after Superman wraps up the crooks, he grabs Lois like a sack of vegetables and carries her to the window by her waist. There's got to be an easy way to do that, George. Scoop that lady up. When they arrive back at Clark's apartment, Clark starts lecturing Lois like he's her father, and I love how she gives it right back to him. Eventually, we solve the mystery of the missing diamonds, as apparently they were in the robot all along. A note to Chopper. You had the diamonds all along, buddy. They were in that robot the whole time. You just didn't look. And the episode ends with the robot literally lighting a fire underneath Henderson's ass, 
You know, it's a good thing to expect to lay it off the three being chilly at lunch. Otherwise, Clark, otherwise the fire trucks will be on their way to Clark's apartment. But he's not amused, and he threatens anyone who finds that funny with a rest. And it's just a very nice, lighthearted end to an overall zany episode. You know, it was a highly enjoyable episode. It makes a little bit of the old classic B-movie science fiction. And Horatio it provides a good element of comedy, and the characters are just great. And this is another solid entry in The Adventures of Superman. So, I'm going to take a, another break. I'm going to play another promo. And then I'm going to come back with The Drums of Death. Hang around, folks. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh, you, you know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Alright, welcome back folks, and we're going to move right on to the next episode, The Drums of Death. Original broadcast date was January 16th, 1953. Writer was Dick Hamilton. Director was Lee Scholl. Guest cast is Henry Corden as William Johnson and Papaloy Legbu. Milton Wood as Antoine Bergeret. Mabel Albertson as Kate White. Leonard Moody as Dr. Leland Masters. George Hamilton as Dr. Simone Gerard. Smokey Whitfield as the voodoo drummer. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Daily Planet editor Perry White is extremely concerned. That's the last piece of film I got from her. Let's see, today's the 15th. A week ago Friday. Ten days. We haven't had a word from Jim in over a week, either. I ought to have my head examined. That sister of mine's crazy enough. I have to send Olsen to Haiti with her. Two irresponsible nuts. A fine pair. Hmm, the Haitian officials can't find a trace of them? Nothing. And I've spent $200 on phone calls. I don't like it, Kent. I don't like it one bit. Did you see the face on that voodoo doctor or whatever he was? He knew he was being photographed. Chief, suppose I fly down there and just take a look around. It's a good idea. I have two tickets on the Midnight Pan Am Clipper. Two? Yes, I'm going with you. Well, now, Chief, you don't have to make the trip. In fact, I'll do much better alone. I think I can make my own decisions alone. That's just what I'm afraid of. What? Oh, nothing, Chief, nothing. I had the boys make a blow-up of this voodoo doctor, just in case. I hope your sister and Jim aren't in his hands. Uh, so do I. Well, you better go home and get packed. Our plane leaves in, uh, 55 minutes. Right. Perry and Clark are in Camp Haitian discussing Kate and Jimmy's disappearance with Antoine Bergeret of the Haitian government. 
This was taken from the last piece of film my sister sent back to the States. Hmm, these would appear to be a voodoo, Doctor. But on the other hand, uh, sometimes photographers, how you say, arrange such things. <laughs> Not my sister. When she takes a picture of a voodoo doctor, you can be sure it's the McCoy, the real thing. If this is a real thing, then your sister's peril is also very real. But only the ignorant and the superstitious believe in the powers of voodoo. And the ignorant and the superstitious are always dangerous. If you don't leave me now, I think I'll take a little walk. I'm curious about that drum. If you'll allow me to suggest, Monsieur Kent, the Haitian bush is not the best place for a stranger, especially at night. Well, of course not. Stay where you are. When we go into the bush, we'll take a competent guide with us. I should be happy to supply a detachment of gendarmes to accompany you, monsieur. No, let's leave the police out of this. Just get me a good guide who speaks English. I have a hunch if we find this bird, we'll find my sister and Olsen. There are two men here who know the jungle quite well. An American and an Englishman. One of them is... Come in. I mean, entree. I hope I'm not intruding. Well, certainly not. As a matter of fact, I was about to mention your name. Oh? Uh, these gentlemen were just inquiring as to someone who could guide them into the back country. Uh, Mr. White and Mr. Kent, uh, permit me to introduce Mr. William Johnson, one of the men I spoke of. How do you do? It's a pleasure, Mr. White. How do you do? How do you do, Mr. Kent? Won't you sit down, please? Thank you. I heard some drum talk back in the hills a short time ago. It said that two white strangers were having a conference with Monsieur Bergeret here at the hotel. So I figured it had something to do with uh, the missing photographer and her assistant. The drum spoke of Miss White? No, that was merely an assumption on my part. Which turned out to be correct. And now if you gentlemen will excuse me, I have some reports to get out. And if you need any official assistance from the Haitian government, please do not hesitate to call on me. Thank you, I appreciate it. I'll see you out. Clark and Perry have finally found a guide to take them through the jungle in the morning. Dr. Leland Masters, an English expert on the Haitian jungles, who has eavesdropped on the conversation between Clark, Perry, and Johnson. Gentlemen, sorry if I seem to be eavesdropping. Seem to be? Matter of fact, I wasn't. Just didn't want to tangle up with Johnson. We have a tendency to grate on each other's nerves. Who are you and what do you want? I'm Dr. Leland Masters. You're Miss White's brother, I take it. I am? Strong family resemblance. Cranial structure, very similar. Anthropologist, I notice these things. This is Mr. Kent. Bergeret told me about him. He's the Englishman who's familiar with the bush country. Ought to be. Spent the last eight years tramping through it, measuring skulls. Ethnology. Tiresome work. Don't know why I ever took it up. Dr. Masters, did you hear anything of particular interest to you while you were standing at that window? I heard Johnson give you some good advice about staying out of the bush. Heard him give you some better advice about not getting mixed up in voodoo. Then I take it you wouldn't be interested in guiding us into the bush country. I didn't say that. Said it's a good place to stay away from. But if you want to go in there looking for your sister and the boy, I'll take you. Tomorrow morning? 7.30? We'll be ready. Would you care to go out that way? No. I'll go through the garden. Where I came in. Just a moment, Doctor. How did you know we were here? I heard a rada drum talking. I savvy that drum talk. After Masters leaves, Clark notices that William Johnson has left behind the handkerchief he had to use to wipe sweat from his brow and neck. There is a dark, soot-like substance on the fabric. However, this new discovery will have to wait, as Clark is needed in the jungle as Superman. Well, I think I'll go to bed, Chief. At 8 o'clock? What's the matter with you, Kent? A little while ago, you wanted to take a walk, now you want to go to bed. Oh, I'm sorry, but... You've got to stay here and go over those maps with me and help plan tomorrow's trip into the bush. Can't we do it in the morning? All right, I'll do it myself. Good night, Chief. Good night. Superman, superhuman eyes and ears, have seen and heard everything he needs to about Kate White. Mademoiselle White, you would like me to remove those heavy iron chains from your wrist? 
You still think they are made of paper? They are not made of paper. They are made of heavy iron. Heavy, heavy iron. Are they not? Yes. I will remove them if you will tell me what you were doing in the secret corridor of the Citadel. Tell me! I was taking pictures. Pictures of what? What secrets have you learned? I don't know. Tell me! I don't remember. Go back then to your cell and think. And think until you do remember. Miss White. Yes? Those chains on your wrist, they're only paper. You can break them. No. They're made of iron. They're only paper. I'll break them for you. No. Only Legbo can break these chains. If anyone else breaks them, I will die. You won't die. No, no. Please, no. All right. I won't touch them. Tell me, do you know where Jim Olson is? You remember Jim Olson, don't you? They got you too, huh, Jim? Superman! You all right? Sure, but golly, how did you ever find me? Never mind about that now. What's happened to Miss White? She drank some tea at Brogeret's house. Tea? Yeah. I didn't drink any. I don't know whether Mr. Johnson or Dr. Masters drank any. They were there at Bergeret's place? Yeah. I know Miss White drank some because I saw her. Go on. Well, there must have been something in it. What makes you think so? Because of what happened after. We left Bergeret's place and came up here to the Citadel. And a bunch of guys jumped out of the bushes and grabbed us. Talk fast. Someone's coming. Well, that voodoo man, Legbo, brought us into an underground room. And, and, he, and he put paper chains on us and told us they were iron. Well, Miss White believed him, so I figured she must be drugged. So I pretended like I believed them, too, until I could get a chance to beat it and get help. Start digging. Clark Kent will not be going with Perry and Dr. Masters into the jungle. Great sages, Ghost, are you going to wear that outfit into the jungle? I thought it might be better if I waited and talked to Mr. Bergeret. I telephoned him earlier this morning. He said he'd come over. Do you mean to say you don't want to go into the jungle? I think I can do more good here, Chief. Where it's nice and safe. I have a theory I want to work out. Sometimes I wonder... Uh, what's the use? As Clark waits impatiently, Masters and Perry walk to Legbu Citadel, only to be captured by the voodoo doctor's natives. That's the fellow we're looking for. Looks like he found us. Why did you come through the bush showing my photograph to natives and asking where I could be found? What have you done with my sister? That is an interesting question. There will be a lot more interesting questions when the gendarmes get here. If they do get here, monsieur, they will not find any witnesses to testify against me. How many vite la famille legale? You are a student of Haitian history, monsieur the doctor. I will spare you so that later you may answer some questions for me. Thank you. Antoine Bergeret has taken Clark to Port-au-Prince to have Johnson's handkerchief analyzed for the dark grime on it. Once Dr. Simone Gerard finishes examining the cloth, Clark leaves before Bergeret returns from the courthouse. Time is of the essence for Superman. <clears throat> Perry, Kate, and Jimmy, who had unsuccessfully defended themselves, are locked in a cage in Legbo's dungeon where wine is made. This is the most interesting room that you have entered. It is known as the wine place. Did you see that small stone gutter and that little hole in the floor? That is so the wine can run through when the grapes are squeezed. 
and Dr. Masters is hidden in a room behind a secret wall not far from them. Believing that Kate took pictures of the location of Henry Kristoff's treasure, Legbu is dissatisfied with her ignorance of the matter. But I tell you, I had no reason for taking pictures in the lower corridors, except for photographic interest. I didn't see any secret doors. I'm not convinced that you're telling the truth. So? What are you going to do? I'm going to use this room for the same purpose that Henri Christophe used it. As punishment, Legbu activates the lethal trap in the prison holding Kate, Perry, and Jimmy. The walls are closing in on them, but suddenly, Superman's tremendous strength stops them from being crushed like grapes. With Perry, Jimmy, and Kate now safe, the Man of Steel frees Dr. Masters and deals with the insane Papua Legbu. What? Who are you? That's Superman. I always thought you were only a legend. Legbu, he's getting away! Uh, he's not the only one mixed up in this. I think Dr. Masters knows some of the answers. You're quite wrong. I know nothing of this. Someone does. Now watch. It's Johnson! I didn't think you were this big a fool. All this voodoo rigmarole is a blind to cover up his attempt to steal the crystal treasure. I'll find it, yet. don't you worry. But why did you think I knew anything about the treasure? Why? I saw you swooping around the Citadel with a camera. My sister happens to be a photographer, and you can't take photographs without a camera. Harry, don't lose your temper. Lose my temper, almost lost my life over this, this imbecile digging for treasure. You'll get plenty of digging in prison. Kate, Perry, and Jimmy are in Camp Haitian celebrating and recounting their adventure to Clark Kent when Antoine Bergeway arrives. Well, don't be afraid of this tea, Jim. I made it personally. No, thank you. I think I'll still stick to water. The prodigal son returns. Hi, Mr. Kent. Hi, Jim. <laughs> Hello, Miss Wine. Glad to see you safe and sound. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to be safe and sound, Mr. Kent, I thank assure you. you. <laughs> Where have you been? Port-au-Prince. Port-au-Prince, eh? We came close to being crushed to death. We'd have all been killed if it hadn't have been for Superman. Really? Golly, you've never seen anything like it. The walls were closing in, and we would have all been crushed. But, Monsieur Kemp, how, how did you get back here so quickly? I flew. All right. This episode has a more of an international flavor, as Clark and Perry are find themselves in Haiti looking for Perry's sister. And the episode starts off immediately in Perry's office, as he and Clark are watching the, some film that she sent back of the Haitian natives, and we get our first look at Paploy Legboot the voodoo doctor who's going to become the main villain for this episode. And apparently Perry is concerned because not only is his sister not safe, but he sent Jimmy with her. Perry comments that he spent $200 on phone calls. Just on phone calls alone. $200 in 1953. Any of you remember the days when long distance was a thing? I barely remember it. Apparently she was filming and she filmed the voodoo witch doctor here, and he, you can tell from the video that he really doesn't like being photographed, or videoed, or filmed, whichever you want to call it, whatever the proper terminology is for that. Well, apparently Clark is volunteers to go to Haiti on his own, but Perry is going to spend some time outside of his office here, and he intends to follow Clark to Haiti, because he understandably wants to find out what happened to his sister. And... Perry tells Clark that they have 55 minutes 
until their plane leaves. Clark has 55 minutes to get home, pack, and get to the plane. Just for some perspective, I recently went on vacation from New York to Disney World, and I had to get to the airport two hours before my flight. If I had to start packing less than 55 minutes before departure, I'd be chasing the plane down the runway. With the car. And what does Clark need to pack anyway? He always wears the same outfit. Well, so anyway, we get some nice big writing on the screen telling us that they're now in Haiti after their short plane trip. You would think that uh, all the talk about Haiti in the previous scene would be enough to tell us that they're going to Haiti, but no, the, the episode isn't going to tell us they're in Haiti. The minister here is wearing a very nice suit, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to help. This is uh, Mr. Bergeret, a very well-to-do government official. And Clark and Perry think they hear a voodoo drum, and Perry states how he thinks it sounds just like a voodoo drum, and I'm not sure how Perry knows that. There aren't too many voodoo drums being banged in Metropolis that I'm aware of. But we're just going to go with it and move on from there. And apparently, Mr. Bergeret has been educated in America. He mentions that voodoo drums was not a foreign language being offered by Harvard University at the time, and I don't believe it's being offered at Harvard these days either, but I can't say that with any authority, although I'm sure it's not. But the, we see these cave dwellers who, at least they appear to be cave dwellers, they're... They look like very primitive people of a tribal group, kind of living out in the jungle. And they know what the drums are saying. Tambu say two white men talk to Antoine Bougeret in hotel. <laughs> and they all find that amusing. Good for them. Perry shows Bergeret the picture of the voodoo doctor, and uh, Bergeret does... He says, yeah, that does look like a voodoo doctor, and he also suggests that Kate has posed the picture. But Perry quickly shoots that down and says that if his sister says that's a voodoo doctor, then it's a real voodoo doctor. This episode also continues something we've seen in previous episodes, where Clark wants to go into the bushes alone, but Perry puts the kibosh on that idea as they need a competent guide. Of course, as third-party omniscient viewers... We know that Clark wants to go alone because he wants to change into Superman. And for some reason, Perry doesn't want to involve the police, but he does want a guide that speaks English. And that's when Johnson comes into the room, and he confirms that the drums are indeed speaking, and he comes to check it out. And Johnson is apparently also an explorer, and he says he tries to remain alive by steering clear of voodoo, which, to me, is good advice. If I were trying to remain alive, and I am trying to remain alive at all times, I'd stay away from voodoo doctors too if I thought they were around. Fortunately, the voodoo doctors, as far as I know, are not hanging around in rural New York. And then we see a very ominous shadow at the window, so this could be anything. And I'm guessing Clark heard him with his super hearing, and we find out that it's an old guy who is introduced as Dr. Leland Masters. The actor who plays Masters, uh, Leonard Moody, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, he's in at least one other episode. The one that I'm thinking of, he plays Professor Jody in an episode called The Magic Necklace. That's a color episode that we'll get to down the line. But anyway, Masters volunteers to take them into the jungle, even though he knows it's not safe. Early on, you can only wonder what his game might be. And Clark is still trying to get away from Perry, so he uses the excuse of wanting to go to bed. And Perry takes Clark to task on this immediately by pointing out the contradiction. Because, 
just before they found Masters behind the window, Clark wanted to go for a walk. And now he wants to go to bed? Eventually, Clark convinces Perry to let him go to bed and leave him alone, and Perry decides he will plan their next move without Clark's help. That's fine with Clark, who changes into Superman and jumps out of the window, even though I'm pretty sure they're on the ground floor. Superman uses his x-ray vision to find Perry's sister with Papaloy Legboo, who talk I mean, they're talking. You can see in the wide shot of his x-ray vision that she appears to be chained, and Superman has looked through the cave wall, and it is the same effect that we saw from the case of the talkative dummy a few episodes ago, where it looks almost looks as though the cave wall has been erased, showing us what's on the other side. And Leg Boo is interrogating Kate. He looks very tall and very familiar, but you know more on that later. Superman, after Leg Boo is done with Kate, Superman goes up to her, but he can't convince her that the paper chains that she's wearing are made of iron and. She is convinced that she'll die, and obviously Superman wants to preserve her life, and if she thinks that removing the chains are going to kill her, he's not going to force that on her. As clearly to him, she's under some kind of spell. But Jimmy isn't, and we get the clue when Superman runs into Jimmy that Jimmy didn't drink the tea served at Birch Ray's apartment. But Kate did, and she fell under under the spell. Now, Jimmy is done pretending, and now he's doing what he does. He's delivering all kinds of exposition, which is apparently one of Jack Larson's talents. I mean, he also does a good job of pretending to be drugged to leg blue. And Superman just kind of stands in the tunnel out of sight as he tries to find out what's going on. Apparently, leg blue is looking for some treasure, and he thinks that Miss White knows where it is. Sometimes... Superman is a little careless with Jimmy's life, I think. He's got his pal right there in front of him. And Jimmy wants to get out of there more than anything. But Superman is going to leave him behind so he can do some detective work and free them later on. In most cases, Superman would just scoop Jimmy up out of there, but he leaves Jimmy behind with this forlorn look on his face. The only thing Jimmy wants is to get out of there and... I'm really not too fond of the idea of Superman just kind of leaving him there. It's not a safe place to leave Jimmy, but Superman leaves him there. The next morning, uh, Perry is ready to go in his jungle outfit. If we're going to release a action figure line on this episode, this would be Haitian Jungle Perry. And Clark was out in his business suit. And Perry criticizes it in a, one of the great, one of the best Great Caesars ghost lines of the of the series. Great Caesar's ghost, are you going to wear that outfit into the jungle? But Perry takes exception to Clark not wanting to go to the jungle. And even though Clark is still a top-notch reporter, and we've seen that throughout the series so far with his questioning techniques, his co-workers still regard him as a bit of a coward. That leaves Perry and Dr. Masters to wander off into the jungle. And as they walk, they're being watched by some of the cultists. Clark apparently had an appointment with Mr. Bergeret, who is kind enough to take him to a lab in Port-au-Prince by plane. You know, I'm not sure how exactly how far away Port-au-Prince is, but apparently it's far enough that they have to go by airplane. Clark, of course, like he always does, wants to go alone, but he can't seem to get away from the government hospitality. Apparently in this show, Superman's biggest weakness is the helpfulness of other people. And... 
Perry continues to think voodoo isn't real by kicking over some kind of voodoo marker, and they're captured by the cultists. A lot of this is intercut with Clark and Bergeret doing their thing, and by now Bergeret has gotten them to a lab, and the lead chemist there, Dr. Gerard, apparently has nothing else to do as they're able to walk right in and analyze the cloth that Clark is bringing over. At this point, Perry has been brought before Legboo, and despite his predicament, he has no trouble threatening the, the voodoo witch doctor, but all he really does is find his way into a cell. Kate is also put in, and this is when Jimmy reveals to everybody that he's not drugged and tries to fight back, but it doesn't do him any good, and Legboo shows that they're in some kind of death trap. Apparently, the room they were in is some kind of wine-making cage where the whoever occupied this cage before would put a bunch of grapes in there and smash them up to make some wine. There's a little gutter in the floor to where the wine will drip out, I guess, into a bucket or something below them on a lower level, perhaps. But before that, Legboo is going to ask some questions. This gives us an opportunity to go back to the lab where Clark is doing his best to sow confusion among the Haitians. At least he did as he's gone now, and they can't figure out exactly how Clark is going to get back to the port of Haiti. We know that he's changed it to Superman, and the chemist tells Bergeret what he has discovered. Kate is still defending herself to leg boots, and she has no idea about any secret doors to define the treasure of Kristoff, uh, and unsatisfied with their answers... Legboo is going to squish them in his death trap. And, you know, remember how I mentioned that it might come back to cause Jimmy, Superman leaving him there like that? Well, Superman's leaving Jimmy behind almost helped uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen shed a few pounds. But Superman does arrive just in time. Legboo's eyes get wide as Superman comes in. As he's shocked, he's probably never seen anything like this before. And Superman makes light work of him and, you know, pushes the wall back very easily. And then Superman goes to save Dr. Masters, who was locked in the room on the other side of the cave. And in hilarious fashion, Superman punches the stone wall to get Dr. Masters out, when really all he had to do was pull the handle. But I guess having Superman punch through the wall is far more dramatic than having him pull the handle, as most people do. Masters thought Superman was only a legend, but... This is when we learn that Leg Boo is actually Johnson, as Clark found that the soot-like substance he found on the, on the cloth was actually the makeup that Johnson used to darken his skin to make him look like a voodoo witch doctor. And Superman throws Johnson in the chair and very roughly wipes the makeup off him. He has not taken any more of trouble from this. And this episode continues to do a great job of showing Perry in a bad mood as he screams at Clark and makes sure he gets a good yell in at Johnson before we fade to the ending sequence. Speaking of the ending sequence, Jimmy will not have tea. And at this point, I really can't say that I blame him for not wanting the tea because, let's face it, drinking tea is what caused a lot of this trouble in the first place. So, Jimmy's going to pass on the tea, and Clark is going to show up, Bergeret is going to come in in another minute, and he is going to be beside himself and mystified that Clark has gotten back to the Port of Haiti so quickly. And we get the now classic wink from George Reeves as he just says, he flew. You know, that George Reeves winking at the camera, it really never gets old. This was another solid entry 
into the first season of Adventures of Superman, which throughout this series has given us a little bit of everything. My only question, you know, kind of about this episode is, whatever happened to the voodoo cultists? Did they just kind of fade into the background after Legbu was revealed to be a fraud and a treasure hunter? And an American, of all things? But we don't look any more into that. It doesn't matter. We're going to move on. And I'm going to move on by telling you that you can reach me at manofscreen at gmail.com. Like I say, feedback is always welcome. I'd like to hear from more of you guys, so you can send me an email there, manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group by searching for Man of Screen Podcast. You can find the show on Twitter. Twitter handle is at manofscreencast. Or if you are so inclined, you can leave me an iTunes review. That'll help others find the show. So, next time, we're going to move into the home stretch, starting the final three episodes that will cover season one. Next week will be The Evil Three and The Riddle of the Chinese Jade. Until then, I'll talk to you later, folks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.